Welcome to yet another episode of the Grassroots Government Podcast. I'm Avery Davidson. Joe Mapes will be joining us a little bit later. He's the Farm Bureau lobbyist. And then we have Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation National Affairs Coordinator Andy Brown with us. And Andy, we kind of got a little bit of late-breaking news there with uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal making a ruling about dicamba. How is that going to affect our farmers and ranchers? Yeah, we hate to bring people bad news uh, Avery, but uh, I'll just be blunt. This is terrible news for our farmers uh, here in Louisiana and a, a whole bunch of farmers across the country uh, that they've had yet another uh, setback, something restricting their ability to do business. Uh, we had the, the label for these over-the-top dicamba products for a few years now, and there's been some controversy over it, no doubt, but uh, to have a court rule mid-season um, when crops are in the ground and, and product in the shed waiting to be applied uh, to, to do this ruling now is really unfair and puts people in a spot to make decisions that they shouldn't have to otherwise be making. What is Farm Bureau doing to, to try and help with that? Yeah, so we got the news uh, on the morning of the 4th. The ruling came down on June the 3rd. Uh, today's the 5th when we're recording this, and today we already had a a letter with a bunch of Southern state farm bureaus sent to EPA, letting them know that this, just what I said, that this was placing uh, producers under an unnecessary hardship and that there's product already purchased, money already spent and crops needing this herbicide applied now. And that uh, we requested that they issue an existing stocks order. So that does exactly what I just said would give the farmer the ability, you know, for this season, while things get sorted out, to at least apply what they uh, have already purchased, and also hopefully would allow your retailers, um, your suppliers out there, to um, complete the sale of any product they're still, you know, being the middleman on. Um, we wouldn't necessarily see more production of the product right now from the registrant or from the manufacturer, but uh, there's plenty of product in the pipeline that that needs to go out on these fields and it needs to happen now. This, you know, the crop's not going to wait on the EPA to go through a bunch of legal jargon. Uh, we need a decision and we needed it, you know, yesterday. And from what I've read and what I understand, and I know you're much more versed in this than I, Andy, but from what I read, this, this was going to expire in December anyway, this label. So, this ruling only covers up until December of 2020. If they apply for the 21 label and get that, the, this ruling does not apply to that, correct? Yeah, so this product has, has had kind of year-to-year -year labels on it, uh, two years maybe at a maximum, but it's constantly been under scrutiny and, and continuing to go under um, data collection and, and scientific-based research. I used to do uh, research on these very products when I worked uh, in the extension realm. Uh, and so, you know, they, while there was plenty of research done prior to it receiving registration, they, it never would have gotten a label if there wasn't data to prove uh, its effectiveness and the ability to, to have it, you know, be a safely applied product. But there has been issues with it. And so that's just been the ammunition that a lot of these environmentalist groups have needed um, to latch hold to. And that, that's what's so upsetting to me about it is if you read the ruling, uh, the court cited the 
the unrest in farm country that it has caused and the, you know, just the social ramifications of it, not the scientific based, uh, factual based ruling that it's harmful to anyone's health or harmful to, you know, the plants uh, that it's being applied on or our food supply. It's that folks were mad about it and it's caused a lot of uh, litigation well, discussion anyway, and in state legislatures and with departments of ag and all that, you know, that's, that's for the people to decide, not for a court decision. So that's why it's so upsetting is that it's not that the process that, that we feel pesticides should have to go through. And if I remember correctly, a lot of the issue came uh, with our neighbor to the north, uh, some issues there in Arkansas, correct? That's right. They had the majority of, uh, you know, claims of this product moving off target and, and they have had a lot in the press uh, of issues but all states have, have handled that you know as they should state to state and have farmer um, led groups within the state departments of agriculture that make recommendations to the commissioners of agriculture in their respective states and so on and i know louisiana has benefited you know, greatly from this product. Uh, just for those who don't understand what we're talking about, uh, if you've ever heard of Roundup Ready crops, where you can, uh, you know, what what a, a herbicide that would typically kill a soybean plant or a cotton plant or others, uh, you could apply that herbicide directly over the crop because it now is tolerant to that herbicide um, due to some some breeding and genetic. Uh, modification on those crops and so same as has happened uh, here for these dicamba products so the seed uh, is is planted the plant grows you can spray dicamba over the top of soybeans and cotton are the two crops that, that currently can have that applied to it and uh, it, it kills the, the main one is pigweed that's everybody's or hogweed some folks in louisiana call it that's the main culprit but it other broadleafs other weeds that that otherwise would limit a farmer's yield and, and cost them more money to control. Um, these products are very helpful in that realm. Um, there's the issue of trying to keep it, you know, within that field. And there's a, there is a very restrictive label for these products uh, to try and instruct a farmer how to best apply it. And Farm Bureau has been involved. A lot of organizations have been involved in, on educating you know, the farmer of, of that label and, and how to best apply it. And they've, they've done a good job of it, especially here in Louisiana. So, you know, it, it just, it stinks. Avery, when you play by the rules, you, you spend your money on, you know, what's, what's an expensive product and you're all ready to go. And, and then all of a sudden the rugs pull it out from under you. So I feel for our people out there uh, that are having to, to hear this news in, already depressed markets uh, amidst trade disputes, COVID-19 fallout, you know, the list goes on and on. We talk about it, but uh, to have a court in California tell a farmer in Louisiana what he can and can't do, it's, it's just a tough pill to swallow. And you mentioned the money. I mean, you already spent the money on this, this herbicide. It's sitting in your shed. It's sitting in your shop. And this is coming at a time when as you brought up depressed markets, but CFAP payments are starting to go out. The coronavirus uh, food assistance program 
545 million so far approved is what I remember reading in a press release. So some of this money is starting to get out. It is, Avery. That's a that's a bright spot to our podcast today. That uh, we've been talking about it for weeks and, and even months of how this program is going to happen. And uh, thankfully, we have a lot of the dedicated Farm Service Agency employees in this state and good leadership who are are getting these applications processed. Uh, a lot of applications are being filed for this, and a lot of customers, uh, as FSA likes to call them, uh, that wouldn't typically be in their office, you know, specialty crops, uh, livestock, other people that, you know, aren't Title I Farm Bill program recipients. Uh, that's a lot of legwork for them to do, and, and it's taking some time. You'll see American Farm Bureau put out some data as to where the payments have headed so far. I think you'll see that Louisiana is kind of behind in that regard, but uh, I would uh, I would jump out and stick up for our friends in Louisiana with Craig McCain and his crew at FSA here in Louisiana, that a lot of that's to deal with state restrictions that, that we're still under just with the heightened number of cases in Louisiana. Uh, they've gotten some, some instruction from the top to, as to how they can open up their offices or, or not. And uh, that's, that's the only restrictions that I could see that would be holding us back from getting this money. Uh, it's just, sheer timing and, and trying to get people processed. Uh, the other piece that may be holding us back is still that we don't have some of our key commodities um, that we're still fighting for in this process. So I won't, I won't go all through crawfish again. We talk about it every week, but uh, they're still not eligible. And we have a lot of people waiting potentially to apply once we get, hopefully get crawfish. Yeah. But one in, guy who has, mix. One guy who has been doing a lot on that is Congressman Clay Higgins, and I know that uh, I spoke to him earlier in this week. Uh, I let you hear the interview. What were your thoughts on on what he's done and uh, what he had to say? Yeah, so I hope uh, I hope folks out there have heard it on the the other episodes of us giving him a shout out and Congressman Abraham a shout out because they have have led the charge on this. Uh, you know, Abraham has historical relationship with USDA being on the, the ag committee, but for just for people to understand it a little better, um, Congressman Higgins wouldn't necessarily uh, have a direct relationship or his staff wouldn't with USDA um, just because of his scope with the committee said he's on. That's, that's pretty typical for any congressman. So I would uh, challenge people to, to, you know, think about that before they criticize what, Congressman Higgins may or may not have done, but what he has done, I can tell you, and that's answered our call anytime we've called, um, been ready to, to do whatever we asked uh, as far as crawfish goes and, and been a voice uh, when, when we need him to be. So we thank him and, and his staff uh, for what they do. Uh, they're always responsive to us and Farm Bureau. And I think that's what he told you on, on the call with him, Avery, is, is he appreciates Farm Bureau just as much as we appreciate him. I think his exact words were uh, patriots of the highest order, Farm Bureau. And uh, I think that speaks highly to every single member of this organization because it's the grassroots that really make the difference and and get the point across to all of our elected officials. That was echoed not just uh, with our elected officials, but today I was on a call with USDA trying to further understand this NOFA submission process for crawfish. And. I asked some high-ranking officials 
today. Just I read it on paper, but, you know, sometimes you want to hear somebody say it. And I asked him, I said, look, we've got so far uh, 400 some odd submissions to this NOFA process. And um, they're usually just individuals that say, hey, you left me out, let me in without much data to back it up. Uh, I told them, you know, I'm representing an organization of thousands of farmers uh, and would be submitting comment on their behalf. And I just wanted to hear their, you know, their decision-making process, how they weight that. And they point blank said it, that an organizational comment where thousands of people can get behind a set of, you know, proven data is going to outweigh, you know, just the one individual that just says, Hey, I need help. So if that doesn't tell you that you need to be involved and there's benefit to to being heard through Farm Bureau, I don't know what does because this this comes down to dollars and cents uh, when it comes to federal programs. So uh, it, it's it's there, it's real, and we you know we tout that as much as we can. As Jim Monroe used to say, the the former assistant to the president of the Louisiana Farm Bureau, he said that anyone who is not a member, a paying member of Farm Bureau, is just getting a free ride because we're going to fight for uh, farmers and ranchers no matter what. We're going to do the job because that's that's what our members expect. But if you're not a member, you are getting a free ride. Absolutely. That's right. And we're, I don't I don't want people to think we're only fighting for crawfish, too, because we're still fighting the poultry fight. We're still trying to look at the next stimulus package for, um, you know, all commodities and future market facilitation payments or whatever's out there uh, to help get through this time of COVID-19. So. Uh, keep farming, uh, still farming, as American Farm Bureau would say. Y'all keep that up, and we're gonna we're gonna be uh, hashtag still lobbying on our end, and hopefully we can hashtag our way into 2021 and leave 2020 behind. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the COVID-19 issues. Uh, the FSA offices, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Has there been any change in how they're they're able to open? Well, I just want to clear up because we have you know some parishes that are starting to have a few more staff in their FSA office than others. And the correspondence we've gotten uh, from leadership of FSA is that um, a parish has to have at least 14 days of plateaued or declining COVID cases in that parish to allow for, you know, a different phase of, of opening their office and increased staff presence in the office. So, uh, don't anticipate any office just coming in normal hours, unlocking the door and, and brewing the cup of coffee like they normally would do. Uh, you need to check, you need to call, you need to work over the phone as much as you can. The application's online. There's a real easy Excel spreadsheet to just put in my numbers on my farm and it generates the application for you. But uh, I know there's a lot of, uh, like I said, a lot of these crops, commodities that haven't traditionally had all the paperwork ready to go. So you'll need to work with your office to get that done, but they're, they're processing it as quick as they can. And FSA, I thought it was really neat. Uh, it was just a, just innovation during challenging times. We heard out of Washington that uh, they came up with the idea to, to do a call center to try and they, they have former staff that are retired or have left FSA that understand the programs really well and don't need, you know, weeks of training to be a viable employee. So 
instead of trying to scatter those through the country, uh, they've brought them together and created a call center to just give some backup to our, our local offices. So that number's on farmers.gov, just like all this information. Uh, when I hear .gov, a lot of times I don't think it's going to be a real useful website. I'll just admit that readily, but uh, I would I would challenge our members to go to farmers.gov because this one actually has some really good information. And, and if that doesn't do it, give me a call and I'll, I'll try and track it down for you. Yeah, you can go to LAFarmBureau.org and all of our contact information is there as well if you need to get in touch with me, with Andy, with anyone on the Farm Bureau staff. Uh, Joe, we're going to get to you in a moment to talk a little bit about state issues, but Andy, I wanted to talk to you first a little bit about something you and I witnessed and uh, just one of the happiest days I've had in quite some time after 78 days watching Louisiana Farm Bureau President Ronnie Anderson come out of the Promise Hospital uh, here in Baton Rouge fighting COVID-19. That that was just an amazing experience. Well, I know I don't have as long of a working relationship with Mr. Anderson as, as a lot of y'all do, but uh, even the folks who've only taken care of him for a few weeks or you know 80 days, whatever it was, when a, when a man can walk out in a parking lot and stop and the whole world stops to listen to what he has to say, just says a lot about Ronnie Anderson and certainly what I think about him and what a lot of people think about him. But then what came out of his mouth was nothing about him and what he did to recover, but was all about the people who got him there, the prayers, the love shown to he and his family. Uh, it, it was it was a special moment that I'm really glad I got to, to be six feet away from because it, uh, it was something I'll remember for quite a while. And Joe, you were there too. Yes, I was. Uh, it was a highly emotional event, a lot of joy and happiness. Uh, Vivian, his wife, thanked everybody for the support. And I hollered, I said, well, thank you for taking care of him for us so, so, so well. And she turned and she said, listen, I want to tell y'all something. She says, there is nothing like the Farm Bureau family. So it was, it was a great moment. And then, and then Ronnie called Sammy and me over to the car and told us he loved us, and that made us cry, so it was great. <laughs> Man, it was just a joyous, joyous moment. Quite a contrast to where you are right now at the state capitol. Tell me a little bit about what's going on there today. Well, tort reform, tort reform, tort reform. So here we are at the uh, beginning of a second session for this year. The first one was a regular session. It was supposed to be 85 days long, but was uh, amended to be 28 days long due to the uh, COVID. And then we did not finish with the budget, did not finish with the tort reform issue, even though the paper says we did. <laughs> but uh, so we got to finish that in this session. It's a 30-day session. The call was limited, so it's not going to be as wide a range of subject matters. Uh, you know, when it comes to the budget, uh, I think we're going to be okay. Uh, this this year, ag is, is what I'm talking about, is when I say we, because uh, the federal money that's coming in from the COVID, the discussion around the Capitol with people we talk to is, you know, we're going to be good for about two years with all of that federal money. So they won't be coming after our state sales tax input. Yeah, the exemptions, because, the exemptions that we have uh, when it comes to state sales taxes on uh, inputs. Joe, tell me a little bit about what the mood has been like, uh, considering that that last minute sort of change up uh, on Talbot's bill. Yeah, that was uh, an unfortunate 
set of circumstances that led to a lot of pressured decisions at the last minute. And then, you know, the business coalition sat around the table uh, reading the proposed amendments to the conference committee report when the bill got sent to conference. And uh, there was not enough uh, time really to make the decision, I don't think. But anyway, that something else happened when the bill went into committee. Uh, the language language came out different than what we had all agreed upon, I believe. And, you know, uh, then uh, you got a bill that would ultimately, if it went into law, raise uh, insurance, automobile insurance rates by, by an additional 20%. So we can't have that. So you see what I mean when I say there's continued effort that has to be applied here on tort reform. What about the budget? Uh, you mentioned that it didn't get finished up in the regular session. You're now in a special session. What, uh, What's left to be done there? Well, they really haven't done much work at all. Uh, they, they met in, in the initial committees. They get out there and, and discuss it and bring all the experts from the different departments onto the floor. So it is like a giant committee hearing. But that's, that's where, the, where you are now, Avery. The, uh, the houses at large need to consider it and then refine it. And it'll end up in conference committee just like it always does, just like the, the tort reform bill did. But the good news is... Uh, uh, there's not a lot of pressure and tension in the building like there has been in uh, previous recent sessions. So that's that's nice. Well, I know that you're you've got another Zoom call that you need to hop on to, Joe. So we'll we'll wrap this up. Is there anything else that you think our grassroots membership needs to know? Well, you know, stay close, pay attention to us, and read all the communications that come from Farm Bureau, including anything with voter voice. If you get anything there, please pay very close attention to that because we probably will call on you to help once or twice with this tort reform issue during the session. Very important to all of farming and agriculture in rural Louisiana and all of our insureds with Farm Bureau Insurance as well. So that's what we need, uh, Avery. Well, we need everybody at the table because, Joe... If they're not at the table, they're on the menu.